They get better every time. So they're memorizing lines. If you were here the first time they did that, it was pretty much Vicky singing and them going. So uh, they've really they've really grown a lot. I appreciate that. Well, welcome to HBF. If you're just coming in or just joining us, we're glad that you're here. If you're on a, online with us right now, I think the camera is probably coming on. And uh, we just had a performance by our Patch Club kids. That uh, that's part of our TNT training and truth that happens on Wednesday night. And we're glad that you're able to be with us tonight. And so tonight we're going to be uh, continuing in our study of Revelation chapter one, and we're working through the book, all 22 chapters. And um, we've covered the first, uh, really the first eight or so uh, verses of of chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, we turn to Revelation chapter 1. And uh, we want to just kind of review what what we need to know before we go, because it ain't going to be long, uh, no matter how you cut it. And you're going home, or you're going to be caught up in the air, and and forever be with the Lord if you're born again. And if you're not, you need to be ready. Uh, you definitely need to know the Lord uh, so that you go to heaven and not spend eternity separated from God in hell. So um, before I jump into the review, uh, let me just do a little introductory uh, setup before we hop into this and uh, and get into the text. So uh, we want to remember, uh, I think I have that here, what we need to know. Yeah, we need to understand the revelation of Jesus Christ so we can prepare ourselves to partake in its fulfillment as part of the bride of Christ. And that's specifically our role as obviously, well, I say obviously, in our introduction, we learn that Daniel's 70th week is actually being fulfilled, and we get insights to that in the book of Revelation. Uh, and, but it's given to uh, John uh, to give to the churches, and the first two, uh, or the first three chapters, I should, say, I should say, rather, deal with the information to the church. It's all to the church, but uh, it's about what God is going to be doing in fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week and culminates, of course, around that key uh, return of Jesus Christ, which we, we saw is mentioned four times. Uh, the second coming is mentioned four times as you go through the book of Revelation. And so it's important not to approach this with just knowledge alone, because we know uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, now is touching things offered unto idols. We know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. So the the point of going through Revelation is not to get puffed up with knowledge, but to be uh, to, to really come away with a real passion to share the gospel with people because this stuff is real and it's not hard to understand. It's just hard to believe sometimes when you read through there. So if any man thinketh that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. And if we love God, we keep his commandments and they are not grievous, are they? So uh, do you know Jesus tonight? Amen. Amen. I hope you do. If you don't, you need to. And uh, he wants to reveal himself to us. And so if you are married, uh, uh, in marriage, your, your wife or your husband is your best friend, especially the older you grow and go, and, and you can confide anything in them. It's, uh, it's uh, the very intimacy pictured in your marriage, which is pictured for us in the book of Revelation. And so uh, without getting too detailed, it's sort of uh, it's, it's intimate uh, conversation that the Lord is having with his bride, and Jesus is wanting to reveal to us the future events, well, because we're his bride, and he wants us to know what's going on. Uh, with the kingdom you know when you get home from work uh you you sometimes take time and you tell your wife what's going on and sometimes you don't tell in front of the kids right it's just something it's for adults only it's for you guys to talk about the the pressures of life this that of the day what's coming around the corner what are we going to do with this and that those that's intimate talk between a husband and wife and god is giving us the information that he wants us as a church to know what's going on with his kingdom he desires us to know him and what his purposes are uh, not just with the planet, but with his people, Israel. 
And that's what Revelation gives you the, the final chapter on. Uh, because in, Reve- in Romans chapter 9 through 11, we get the details, the mysteries revealed to Paul that God's not done with Israel and the fullness of the Gentiles uh, will be come in and he's going to turn his attention back. And then at the end of the book of, of, uh, of the New Testament, we get the details on how God is going to fulfill all of that. And so in this time in history, it's increasingly important that Jesus, uh, <clears throat> that, that Jesus is uh, in our mind, in our mindset, and we understand that he's in our midst and uh, and so Revelation, we've already seen at the end of chapter 1 that Jesus is in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And we know those seven golden candlesticks represent the seven churches, which in this case, uh, historically, we saw were in Asia Minor, those seven churches that were written to, and this letter was to go through historically. We also know those are seven church ages uh, that we uh, can see throughout history in retrospect over the last couple thousand years. And so, uh, and there also it's admonition uh, to uh, believers that will come to faith in the coming tribulation period as well. So there's three applications uh, to this, this book, and as there is to all passages of Scripture, historical, doctrinal, and inspirational or devotional. So we saw, uh, kind of skipping ahead to Revelation 3:20 through 21, Jesus said, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him, and he with me." To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. So in this this dispensation, certainly, but in this church age that we live in, uh, even though there is a lot of folks that are uh, blind, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, the Bible is very clear in Revelation 3.20 that we can overcome the spirit of this age. So we're not destined to fail. Uh, We can overcome because Jesus overcame. And so Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of, of the living God, and it is. Genesis 32:30 says, And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Now, are you ready? Are you ready to meet God face to face? I have the privilege of being with people shortly before they get to leave their bodies oftentimes, and, uh, and they're aware of it. And I tell you, there's a, whole, there's a soberness that comes to, to folks as they know that this, this, this thing's winding down, and it won't be long, and they're standing before Jesus. And I'm talking about Christians, obviously. I've also been with people who aren't saved, and it is, it is, it's sad. That's just sad. Um, uh, you aren't going to gut it out and just go into oblivion. You will stand before the Lord in judgment one day, but not before you get dragged off uh, to, to hell. And, uh, and so, and so that's, a, that's a difficult thing if they're not saved. But for those of us that are saved, uh, I want you just to consider this. You know, uh, we know, uh, we know in part, right? But now we know everything we need to know from the New Testament. The, the testator has died. The word of God has been preserved. So we have it in the writing. Uh, we even literally see Jesus in the text, as we're going to see it here in just a moment. But we will someday come face-to-face, like literally face-to-face with Jesus. And uh, we will have a similar response as John. So as we look at their text tonight, Revelation chapter 1, let's look at verse 7. Pick up the text from where we left off. And then we're going to go again to the end of the chapter. By God's grace, if I have time, which I don't know if I will, we'll get to all of this tonight and, uh, and then move on to chapter 2. So uh, John says as uh, he's writing, or the, Jesus Christ obviously is, is talking to the verse 4, the seven churches. <clears throat> and then we pick it up in verse 7. He says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Now, we left off with that last week. Now, verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is 
and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that's called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he heard and and, uh, heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. In the midst of the uh, seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paths with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. Well, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are seven churches. So let's pray, and, and we'll review some things. Heavenly Father, we've, we've prayed, we've sang, and we've, we've at least observed singing, and heard scripture quote in 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, Lord, we pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, as we think about coming before your throne, it is really amazing to consider what John has saw and what's now recorded for us in your word. And, and Lord, we will someday uh, be in the same physical presence as John. And he was transported to the future, as we talked about last week. And, uh, Lord, he was literally before you. And he didn't die. Uh, Lord, we just read that passage of, uh, of Jacob as he wrestled with God and saw the Lord and, and, and lived uh, Lord, uh, that's your grace and that's your mercy. And it's a picture, Lord, of the grace that you give us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for the intimacy that we can have with you to approach you uh, because Jesus Christ is our advocate and propitiation. He's our intercessor. It's a great privilege to be able to come to your presence. And, and Lord, obviously, where two or three are gathered in, in the Gospels, it says you're there. But, Lord, the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that we've been quickened and that you dwell in us. Lord, the Spirit of God is in us of a truth. And, and uh, Lord, uh, it's amazing that you know every thought. Lord, who knows the mind of the Spirit, but but the, the Spirit that dwells in someone, Lord. And, and we have the mind of Christ. We have your mind. And we know your thoughts, and you know our thoughts, and we are one with you. It's, it's amazing. And so, Heavenly Father, as you reveal, Lord, your thoughts to us, the revelation of Jesus Christ, I pray, God, that we would not take that for granted, that, that we wouldn't get puffed up with information but, Lord, it would move us to application, to share the gospel while we have time. And, uh, and Lord, make the most out of every day that we have before you take us out of here. We thank you and we praise you for loving us and giving us time in your word tonight. We ask a blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So in review from where we've been, I'm going to move pretty briskly. Uh, I've read this to you, so we're moving on. Um, 
so we, we, we saw the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, this is just review. Um, this isn't in your, in the handout for tonight. Uh, we saw the point from that. We saw that the, the point of this book is to reveal Christ. It was written from 91 to 96 AD. Uh, we saw the structure of Christ. Uh, and I talked about the overview of how it is put together with, uh, you know, the first three chapters written to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And then John before the throne in chapters four through six. And then the, with the first look at the tribulation and then a pause or a parenthesis in chapter seven with 144,000 in heaven. Then in Revelation 8 through 11, it's the second look at the tribulation. Revelation 12 through 14, 14 is the third look at the tribulation. And 15 through 19 is the fourth look at the tribulation with chapters 20 through 22, dealing with the millennium and eternity future. And so we also uh, saw that there was iterations as we go through the book of Revelation. Sometimes we're in heaven, sometimes we're back on earth looking at what's going on. So we'll go up and down all the way through the book of Revelation and uh, I gave you examples of all that for time's sake. I'm not going to review all that in detail. We also saw the accuracy of Revelation uh, this, to the seven churches. It's got the seven seals, the seven trumpets, seven personages, seven vials. It's based on the the, the number seven. Uh, I had a I had a little I had a little uh, oh what do you call it a you know you get in these spars on Twitter sometimes with people. I some I won't I don't remember the guy's name. He's a big shot. I I, I was I was actually trying to just be logical about something and i got in a in a sparring match with some dude some big shot theologian and i was like hey i mean it is what it is and it was over numbers because some christians are scared of numbers you know if you use the term numerology and and rightly so their pagan religions use numbers too okay so i get where they're what they're scared of but at the end of the day the bible was long before that right god is the creator of all and it's clear in the bible that numbers are important and so um and so I was trying to like help this brother out because I knew what the guy meant. Uh, someone posted something about uh, numbers, and this this guy responds and says something to the effect of, "You know, the, you know, we're not into numerology." And I, and I agreed with him. I kind of commented and said, "No, we're of course we're not into numerology, but we do. We all understand that, they, you know, God created everything, and and He's a God of math, and and numbers are important in the Bible." Because he's established patterns with numbers. I just said something just simple like that, you know. And, man, this dude lights into me. And I was like, wow, where's this coming from? So I just cited the book of Revelation. I mean, I was just like, well, dude, I mean, the number seven, case in point. Just open up your Bible and read it. There's no – it's just there, right? When you go to Revelation, it is seven, seven trumpets. I mean, there's seven vials. There's seven personages. There's seven seven, – dooms there's seven new things i mean you just it's all over the Bible. it's just the thumbprint of god is all over it and god did create the world in seven days i mean <laughs> i don't know what to tell you it is what it is that's what the bible says so anyway people are weird but anyhow so uh the bible the my point is is uh uh god's word is is very structured and it's also very accurate uh god's word is accurate and so we talked about that um, the, the prophecy was signified to John in Revelation chapter 1, and we were introduced to the testimony of Jesus Christ in verse 3, talking about how the prophecy is accurate, and we just touched on that in verse 9 as well. The testimony of Jesus is, Revelation 19 and verse 10, the spirit of prophecy. What God says is going to come to pass. See, it is absolutely accurate, um, and we looked at the, the three applications as well, the historical, doctrinal, and the prophetic application to the churches as well. And then we saw the blessing of Revelation. 
Um, there's a blessing, remember, to reading in verse uh, 3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So for those of you that may come from a Catholic background and you're told, don't ever look at the book of Revelation, you know, you can't understand it. It's all an enigma. Well, Jesus says, read it, right? And hear it. And uh, and you'll be fine. As a matter of fact, there's a blessing to, to keeping it. Right, so so read it, hear it, and keep it. That's what God says. So uh, let God be true, and every man a liar, as far as that's concerned. And then we saw the teacher of Revelation is the Spirit of God in verse four, and in uh, Isaiah eleven two, and we talked about the seven spirits and all of those things. Touched on that. Uh, we saw the hope of Revelation, um, and you guys have covered a lot already in the first uh, few verses up into verse seven, uh, and we talked about the catching away of the church and how we're not appointed to wrath. And uh, and also how we understand things that even the apostles didn't know in Acts 1-7. Uh, and so God has revealed these things to us in the church. And that's why we got a lot of work to do. And so, and then we talked about Jesus' return. Behold, he is coming. Uh, he is the lamb. We talked about his resurrection uh, and how he comes in the clouds. Uh, we talked about the holes in his hands and his side and the coverage uh, of his um, uh uh, behold his coverage, uh, how he covers us in his blood, the accuracy of the scripture, and uh, the judgment of Jesus Christ as well, his coming judgment. So we saw all of that in the first eight verses, eight to ten verses actually. We really took us up to verse 10 and 11, uh, which we touched on last week. So tonight <clears throat> we should be able to pick it up in uh, chapter 12, and uh, we're dealing with Jesus' revelation. So... Um, let me get back here. We already covered John's hard time on earth. Wait a minute. Do we have the right? Okay, that's good. All right. I think. Huh? No, I forgot to put it up. I apologize. I'll put it up. Let me, let me, I th- okay, my review's ended. That's my problem. I fooled myself. All right, so let's get, uh, let's get into Jesus' revelation. Here we are. I caught myself up. So uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12, uh, our text here says, um, uh, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. So let's talk about Jesus' identification. And uh, I do apologize. I, I normally get those up, and I, I just spaced it off today. So I apologize for for those of you online not having your outlines tonight, but we will get them post post uh, production tonight. So I apologize. After I'm done, that's the first thing I'll do. Um, but we're going to talk about Jesus's identification, and uh, we must turn. Notice it says he turned to see the voice that spake with him. And uh, now this is a devotional thought, but it is it hit me several years ago when I was going through this. How um, he's having this. Uh, he's 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 literally. Um, before the Lord and uh, in the spirit on the Lord's day. And we talked about that, how he literally was transported to the future. So it wasn't like he was was dealing with Sunday morning, like, oh, I'm I'm at the house of the Lord on the Lord's day. No, he literally got taken to the Lord's day. And so he's, you know, he's he's been fast forwarded to the future. And uh, and so uh, but the Lord is he's hearing the voice, but he's not seeing it. And so it says in verse 12, and I turned to see the voice. Isn't that interesting, the voice? Like, we've got a whole thing on TV today, the voice. You know, everybody's singing and doing all that stuff. But he hears this voice, 
There's even a, there's even a, one of the, I think it might be the voice. They all sit in their chairs and they listen to this song. And then if it really, you know, if it resonates with them, they got their back to them and they turn around and like, oh, who's singing? You know, they got to see it. Well, John, man, he hears the voice and he's got to turn around. You thought that you thought the voice was original. No, it's not. They're just ripping off the Bible. So, uh, so, so, you know, uh, so, so there's the voice and he turns and of course it's the Lord. Um, and so, but there's a practical, when you think about practically speaking, you know, holiness is a mechanism of salvation. It's a fruit of salvation. And, um, you know, we're holy because he's holy. No relationship uh, begins without uh, re- repentance. So why is faith and repentance a part of the heart condition of salvation? And that's a good question, because before you can change into God's image, we must uh, turn to God's image. We must turn to God's image in our hearts, right? Now I'm talking about a heart condition. Before we can receive the gift of eternal life, you have to believe by faith that Jesus Christ is the gift of eternal life. God's not going to just foist himself on you like a Calvinist would teach. There comes a point in your, in your, in your life where you actually, um, uh, you're convicted over your sin and you turn, we even say that, turn to Christ. Uh, turn to Christ and receive the gift of eternal life. And we believe that, uh, you know, by faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, we receive the gift of eternal life. So these matters of the heart become apparent as we contemplate the Holy, uh, as we contemplate and the Holy Ghost reveals God's holiness to our lost situation. Of course, we humble ourselves and we fall before the Lord. We kneel down and we ask Christ to come into our heart. Now, that's not what's happening here. I want to be clear about that. That's not what John's doing, but it's just a cool little picture devotionally that you can see. When he hears God's voice, what's he do? He turns, and once he faces God, he falls to his face as dead. I mean, he is he is in awe of God. And uh, in essence, the light of the gospel is the glory of God revealed to lost man. I mean, we even see it, and in, in, uh, it talks about our, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, right? And so lost people, when they hear the gospel, it is a light, especially when their hearts are prepared and and they're convicted by the Holy Ghost. By the way, you don't have to be saved to be convicted. God can convict you without saving you, right? And so he does do that work, uh, even a lost man. So the glory of God will kill us without an advocate, which is why the goodness of God leads us to repentance in Romans 2, 4, right? It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And so so when it comes to practical uh, holiness applied to the Christian life, this is just devotional teaching right now, the way we see Jesus is going to match the way we live. And so if we see Jesus in his glorious nature, we'll have a high standard of personal holiness. Conversely, if we have a low regard for God's holiness, then we'll, it'll be reflected in the heart, in the, in the life in which we live. Right? We're holy because he's holy. And so uh, you know around here we're not running around uh, telling you a bunch of external rules to keep. But however, when Christ comes in your, in your life, it changes the way you live. You just can't do what you used to do. Not because... I'm making you, but because you've changed, uh, God will take stuff away from you. You guys, many of you know my testimony. Um, I, I used to drink alcohol, man, and I didn't even have a message about alcohol. First time I got a buzz after I got saved, the Holy Ghost said, Brian, stop it. I was trying to witness to somebody, and I'm trying to tell them about the gospel and what God's doing in my life. I'm all excited about discipleship. Nobody's. I haven't even been to church yet. I haven't even heard a message on drinking. So this is. I'm not. This is not one of those. The preacher's talking about drinking, you know, and don't you know what the Bible says? A little wine for, you know, whatever. Listen, so I'm sitting there trying to, to witness to somebody, 
completely baby in Christ, have no, I don't even know that drinking has any issue. I didn't even know what, I didn't even think about it. And so I'm, I'm two or three beers into this thing. I got a short time period. I'm at break time, you know. I got to get back to work. And, uh, and so uh, trying to get the gospel in and get back to work. And all of a sudden, it's like, when I was lost, I used to have these dreams where I was like in quicksand, like trying to run from something. It's like, you know. I, ever, by the way, since I've been saved, I've never had those dreams again. But anyway, but it was like that. I'm trying to witness, and it's like, you know, I could just feel like, this isn't working the way it's supposed to, you know. Why? There's another spirit. And it wasn't God's spirit. And it was clouding my ability to preach. And, of course, I wasn't a preacher, but I was trying to witness. And so what did, I, what did God say? He said, and I, he didn't tell you this. He told me this. And I didn't, even have, I didn't even have my Bible open. He just said, Brian, don't do that. If you're going to try to witness to people, you can't do that. So I put it down. Now, I will tell you, those of you that are alcoholics and struggle with that, I was, even though I liked to drink a lot when I was lost, I was never a alcoholic in that sense. I just drank to get drunk, which is what, that's what you do in Jackson County where I'm from. But anyway, and so, and so that's just the way it was. So that was the only, you know, so, so I just put that down. I just put it down. Why did I put it down? I will tell you this, because I could. And and God gave me that grace. So for me, and I am sympathetic to people who are like alcoholics. They're, you know, they're having struggles. That's why we have life issues. And I, and, and there's other sins that aren't so easy. You know, I have a friend that God took meth out of his life, but then he struggled for, with cigarettes. You know, I mean, what what in the world? But still, it is what it is. You know, our, all of us are, have different things. And so um, the point being is that, that there is a, there's a holiness, and it begins with your personal relationship with Jesus. And so you don't hear me talking a lot about holiness, but I tell you what, when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to wish you had thought about holiness. You're going to be thinking about, man, how did I conduct myself? What did I say? I don't know. Oh, man. Yeah, what came out of my mouth? What was in my heart? By the way, you are not, you are not going to be... This, this, was, this tripped me up as a young Christian, too, uh, because I thought, if you, I thought if you thought it, you've done it. And, man, I tell you what, especially when you're a young man, <laughs> you're full of condemnation, man. I was ready to kill myself. I was just like, man, I am worthless. I am terrible because my thoughts were not what they need to be. And, um, But you know what I learned later on is that you got to be careful with that because it is true. You need to capture every thought and bring it in captivity. Isn't that not true, right? And judge it and bring it before the Lord. So, so deal with sin in your thoughts. But don't be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow to the point that if you think that you've thought it, you've done it. Because you can get to the, the heresy that it, it's equal. And it isn't. An example. Uh, should you? Let me ask you guys. Let me see how the theology class is going tonight. Should you, should you think about adultery? Is anyone saying yes? I hope not. Okay, no. No one here should think about adultery. But and if you do, God forbid, is it the same as adultery? No. The consequences. The, now, the thought of wickedness is sin, so it's sinful. You shouldn't think about it. But and if you do, judge it in, while it's in your mind because the, the, the consequence is not as great as if you commit it. Okay? Because the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad, thinking is part of what you do in the body, but, you, but then actually executing on it, uh, that comes with a greater judgment. You see what I'm saying? 
So capture those thoughts in your mind. Work it out. That's why we want this mind to be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Be holy because he's holy. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. First Corinthians, Romans chapter 12. You guys know those things, but it's good to think about that because John's before the throne. This is, I mean, we could talk, we could talk a lot about, there's a lot to talk about here, but if it's not practical, it's not worth talking about, right? So these are some practical things. As you look at this and you think about it, you're like, you know, someday I'm going to be like John before the throne. And you know what the truth of the matter is? All your sin is going to be as far away as the east is from the west. That's not the thing that's going to trip you up. What's really going to trip me up and you up is how much we let the stupid things of this life, the omissions and commissions, keep us from glorifying him. And how we weren't on mission and we weren't on task and how we were covering up with our own fig leaves and all that stuff. Instead of just thinking being intimate with Jesus Christ and letting the chips fly and being everything Jesus wants us to be. And there's, that's freedom. It's liberty. Just go all in for Jesus. Get crazy for Jesus until Jesus takes you out. Man, that's so freeing. Who cares what people think? Just, just go for God with everything. That's what's going to glorify him. And he'll give you wisdom on how to do that. So this, tonight this text should actually change us as we consider who's really speaking to us here. I mean, Jesus Christ is, is desiring to speak to his church. He's desiring not to speak to me. He's desiring to speak to y'all. Well, he wants to speak to all of us, right? It's not just, this isn't a priest class where like I'm up here and you're down. I mean, we're not Nicolaitans. We all are getting the message and we all need to, to, to live it out because God wants to be a light in our midst. And so, um, and so notice that Jesus spoke uh, with John, not at him. So before John turned and saw Jesus, he heard him in verse 10, right? He spoke, he spoke to him. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of many, uh, oh, I'm sorry, not as many waters, but as a trumpet. We talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, this reminds me of Romans 10:14. It says, how then shall they call on him whom they have not, uh, who have not believed? And how shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? A lot of times people hear. And how shall they hear without a preacher? You know God uses you to speak his word so people hear and turn to Christ. Not to you, turn to Christ. So we preach the gospel not so people can hear us, but so that people can hear God call them to repentance. Change of heart and mind that produces a change of life because Jesus quickens them. So let's continue the progression. Uh Verse 10 is heard, and then in verse 12, he turned, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, he goes on, and he says, and I saw. So verse 10, he heard. Uh, verse 12, he turned, and he says, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. This is a voice you can actually see. That's kind of interesting. And he also not only see, saw the voice, but he saw seven golden candlesticks. And then he saw... The light of the church, right? Because we know at the end of the chapter there that those candlesticks represent the seven churches. Jesus tells us what the meaning is. I saw him in glory, verse 17. Look at that. He says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, uh, fear not, I am the first and the last. Uh, Wow. And when he saw him, he fell. I fell at his feet as dead, in verse 17. And would to God that we would, uh, you know, be dead men walking. So notice when John turns, he sees the seven golden candlesticks before he sees the visible manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? And when I look at verse 17, and when I saw him, 
I fell at his feet as dead and it laid. I'm sorry. I need to back up. Um, but, but where's that at? Yeah, verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars and a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. So he, he notices what's in his hand and, and uh, his visage before he actually sees him and then falls to the, to the ground. It's, it's interesting, the progression there between verse 16 and 17. And uh, he does see his, his form with the, the brass and all that is verse, up in verse, his head in verse 14 and verse 15. But up in verse 13, and, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. So that's what he saw, seven golden candlesticks, verse 12. And then he sees the Lord in the midst of them. And so if people really want to see Jesus, where are they going to find him? In the midst of the church. You know, you got a lot of theology out there today. Well, Jesus is out on the golf course, and Jesus is here and there. Well, of course, Jesus created everything, and God can talk to you wherever. You, wherever. But the point is, is if you really want to see Jesus, you're going to find him in the midst of the church. <clears throat> Coming from a guy who was anti-church once, I, I realized that if I really wanted to know Jesus, I had to go to church. You know, reading the outlines in the Bible and reading through the Bible without any help, I realized, guess what? There's, I needed help to understand the Bible. Because God wasn't going to give me the mysteries unless I was willing to go to the place where he had committed them, which was the church. And so God gave me the mysteries, the New Testament mysteries, by coming to the church to reveal them to me in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Are you guys tracking with me? Is it making sense? Okay. So, um, <clears throat> so John, he sees the seven golden candlesticks up there in verse 13 and 14, and then he sees Jesus and he falls down as dead. Revelation 1.20 defines those, those candlesticks and also the stars as the seven angels, which we'll keep seeing as we go through the churches uh, in chapter 2 and 3. And then uh, if you don't see Jesus here through the church, this is the thing. You're not going to be prepared for what comes later. You're not going to be prepared to see him at his judgment. The church is a visible manifestation of the body of Christ. So... Uh, I've told you before that, it, that, that if you're faithless, like Thomas, what do you need to do? You need to plug into the Word of God. In another sense, you can fill a hole left in the body. Plug into the body and be not faithless but believing. Our church has plenty of holes in it. You can plug in. Be not faithless but believing. And it's amazing. Uh, you'll start to see Jesus in a new light because you're plugged into the body of Christ. Okay, a lot of devotional application there just in those first verses. And so Jesus' identification, uh, we must turn to see Jesus. I think I've given you all that. That's all in your notes, I think. So um, we must turn to see Jesus. All right, so we're on the menorah. Let me, let me pause there. So notice the menorah, um, not the hospital, but uh, seen here in Revelation represents the seven churches. The menorah was found in the tabernacle in the temple. In Exodus chapter 25, did I put that up there? I did not. Let me back up. So it should be in your notes. Uh, Exodus twenty five thirty one. 31. Uh, the Bible says, And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his, bow, his uh, bowls and his uh, knops and his flowers shall be the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it. Uh, three branches of the candlestick out of one side and three branches of the <clears throat> candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a, a knob and a flower 
on one branch, three bowls made with like almonds with the other branch with an op in the flour. So uh, in the six branches that come out of the candlestick, and the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers, and there shall be a knop under two branches. So this is getting very detailed into what it looks like. And the knop under the two uh, branches and the same, and the knop under the two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Most of us have seen what those look like. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same. All of it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And then in verse 37... It says, and thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, and they, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold shall he, uh, shall he make it with all the vessels, and look uh, that thou make them after their pattern which is showed unto thee in the mount. So God has these uh, golden candlesticks that he has fashioned in the temple. And to, what do they what do they give light to? Anybody know? That's right, the word of God. That's so uh, so uh, the word of God. And so uh, so they they enlighten they in the in the tabernacle they light up the word of God. Zechariah chapter four says this in verse one. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is waked out of a sleep, and said unto me, uh, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick of uh, uh, candlestick all of gold, and a bowl upon the top of it, and the seven lamps there, thereon, and the seven pipes, and the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof, and the two olive trees by it, uh, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other on the left thereof. So I answered, and I spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my lord? And the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, Nay, Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, that thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shouting, crying, Grace, grace unto it. All right, so in Zechariah chapter 4, you see this prophecy of this, uh, these candle, again, the candlesticks. And the church is, is here to eliminate, not eliminate, illuminate, get my words right, illuminate the word of God. Uh, there are seven churches which represent seven church ages which have been given the responsibility to shine the light upon the bread of life. And so check out uh, our vision at HBF. So in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15, uh, many of you know this passage, but let's have a look at that. Philippians 2 and verse 15. This is actually the this is the church that we want to be at HBF. Very practical. Right in the, in the midst of your New Testament. Dealing with the fellowship of believers. Uh, and he says in verse 1, If there be any therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any, bow, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy that you may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look, every, and look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Right? Look out for one another. Love one another. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what's he mean by that? Well, memorize your Bible. Well, yeah, memorize your Bible, but, but more than that, he's saying have the mindset of the Bible so that you're humble like Jesus. And you love others ahead of yourself and keep the great commandment. That's what he's talking about. Love God and love people. 
And so he goes on to illustrate that. But uh, who, Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He is God. Uh, Sorry to everybody else who says he's not. You know, I'm not really sorry, but that's the truth. So Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses across the way and all these guys, too bad. They're out of luck. But made himself of no reputation, right? He humbled himself and he took upon him the form of a servant, verse 7, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He went out of his way to communicate. Ironically, I got saved by a man who went out of his way to lead me to Christ, and his name was Cross. <laughs> so that's interesting. And so, uh, but he, you know what? Jesus, he endured the death of the cross so that he could uh, redeem us. So verse 9, wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. It's done and finished, right? He is not perpetually dying on the cross for our sins. He's already sitting at the right hand of the Father. He ascended in Acts 1. And uh, verse 8, he's now sitting at the right hand of God. He ascended in verse well, 9, I believe it is, when he went up into, up into heaven. And he'll come back, as we've already talked about. And so it says, um, uh, verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of the things in heaven and, and the things in the earth and the things under the earth. So you see in, in uh, Philippians 2.10, every knee should bow. Not every knee will bow. Romans 14.11 says every knee shall bow, quoting from Isaiah, which says every knee shall bow. What do we have here? We have a season of grace where people have the opportunity to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11 and that every tongue should confess that, that uh, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Either do it now or do it later, but you should do it now because you will do it later. Verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. Now, this is the vision for HBF. We know how humble Jesus is, so what's the instructions? Well, I'm glad you're asking. This is it right here, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, his bride, my beloved bride. Think Jesus is what Jesus is asking of us. As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Right? God, he's, Jesus ascended almost 2,000 years ago. Not quite, but almost 2,000 years ago. He says, now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying work for salvation. He says, you have salvation. Right? You're saved by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, right? But verse 10 says... You're saved on two good works. There's something God has saved you to do. Work out your salvation. Get out what's inside. What is that? Jesus, the light of the world. If your candle, if your if your gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Get it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You say, well, we're in the New Testament. It's all about love. I think we better read this again. There are some things you should fear, and that's coming to the judgment seat of Christ and wasting your life. Getting back to the bedside of people who are Christians. Have you been to the bedside of someone who's a Christian that hasn't lived their life for Christ? It can be pretty gnarly. I don't know. I don't understand time and space uh, once you leave the body. But I've been to some places where I'm like, are they at the judgment seat of Christ already? I don't know what's going on here. (laughs) I've seen some lamenting going on. I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah, they're seeing Mama, and they're seeing Grandpa, and then they're saying, I am so sorry, I am so sorry, I am so sorry. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Okay, maybe it's the fentanyl. I don't know. I'm just telling you, 
puts the fear of God in me. I've also been at bedsides where people come out of whacked out situations, look me dead in the eye and say, my husband needs to get saved. Tell him the gospel. I mean, people get near death. It's weird what God does. I mean, it is crazy. <laughs> so, but anyway, that's a whole other side note. But fear and trembling, I'm just telling you. We need to be serious about the business. Verse 12 there. And then in verse 13 he says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. He's working in us. Do all things without murmuring. Circling us right back to the first verses. And disputings. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights, plural, in the world. It's a we, not me. We've all got to do this together because it's the church, the golden candlesticks. Jesus is in the midst of the local church. He's in the midst of the churches that believe his word. And I'm telling you guys, uh, we're going to give account for how we shine the light or not. How we take these mission trips seriously or not. I mean, how we sincerely pray to get God's mission done. How we adopt a street. I mean, all the, all the how we do... CSA, Christian, you know, Christ Soccer Academy, whatever it is, whatever we put our hand to, man, it needs to be, we need to know this. So, he needs us to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. How do we do that? Oh, man, I'm glad you told me, Paul. Verse 16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yeah, I'm glad he didn't say you got to you got to get up every morning and work out because man, I'd be in trouble. I mean, he says, "Hold forth the word of life. Walk in wisdom toward those that are without." Right, taking the word of God and holding it, offering the word of God. That's what we are to do. Offering the word of God to this world doesn't mean they have, they'll take it, but at least we should give them every opportunity to receive it. All right, so now back in Revelation chapter one. Um, in verse 12, I turned and I see the voice that spake unto me being turned. I saw seven golden candlesticks. And so now in Revelation 1, 12 through 19, John, who also is a picture of the church, is seeing the light uh, of the world. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And he is commanded in Revelation 1, 19 to write the things that he has seen. And he's writing here of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. And our light compared to God's perfect glory is the difference between the menorah shining in the tabernacle and the Shekinah glory. And this guy, he's like, the, he's like the sun shining in his strength. I mean, it's not compared. But you know what? Just like the song says, this little light of mine. There's a lot of truth in that. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Oh, yeah, it's going to be eclipsed by the sun, the sun of righteousness who rises with healing in his wings. Praise the Lord. But right now in the dark, you've heard me tell that analogy before. You go down here to Bridal Cave and you, you know, and they take you down in the bowels of that cave and can't see. Literally, the lights are out. You can't see nothing. And the dude takes his little lighter out and the whole cave lights up. And the darker it gets, the more your light makes a difference. And that's why, like this year, I'm talking about how important it is to to be obviously continue in diligence, but grow in faithfulness because the more faithful we are to God's word, and the darker it gets, it's not a time to be discouraged. It's a time to be encouraged because you know you're going to make a dent in the darkness if you clean, hold fast to the light of God's word. And you hold the, the, the word out. That's the other side of the coin. 
right? You can't circle the wagons and hide and say, oh, no, the Antichrist system is going to take me away. No, it's not. Greater is he than you, that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus is going to take us away. Now, if they come and take me, take me. Take me to prison. Take me wherever you want. But wherever we go, the light's going to shine. Hold forth the word of light. Right? That's the key. And I tell you what, that'll put the fear in the devil. Because he knows, that's why he won't persecute, because he knows if he persecutes you, it's just going to make the light shine brighter. What happens? But anyway, I digress. I'm getting off note. So point C, we must see Jesus as he is. Finally, Brian, you're moving along slowly. Okay, so you've got to see Jesus as he is. What is, the, what is your preconceived idea who Jesus is? You know, we've got to ask ourselves that question. Is, he, is it scriptural? Is it literal? So John spent three and a half years with Jesus. This is what's interesting to think about. He spent three and a half years with Jesus, saw him transfigured on the Mount of Olives, watched him die on the cross. I mean, he's the only one that was faithful to go to the cross, was witness of his resurrection and his ascension. I mean, John was there for all of it. But he's in awe of him face to face in his glorified state. Falling on his face is dead. It's not like he doesn't know Jesus. He knew Jesus, but this is Jesus. You know, he is falling down in, in, in literal awe. And I don't have words. I guess I'm done with that. I don't have enough words to even really communicate probably what was going on there. He just says in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I mean, there's just nothing left. It wasn't like he didn't know him. He's in his glorified state. There's a difference here, and I just would mention this, to note the difference between the earthly and the heavenly. It's quite distinct. You know, Hebrews 2.9 says this, and I think I have it in your notes there. But as we see Jesus, we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. We do see Jesus. John saw Jesus. Peter saw Jesus. James saw Jesus. The apostles saw Jesus. You know, multitudes, five, over 500 witnesses saw Jesus. After his resurrection. So they saw Jesus. Don't get me wrong. We see Jesus. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. I mean, Jesus is different in heaven than he was on earth, is what I'm saying, in glory. So if Jesus' transformation uh, to his glorified state is so dramatic, there's a reason I'm talking about this. I just want you to contemplate for just a moment, what is your transformation going to be like in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, when the dead in Christ shall rise? What is your glorified state going to be like? It's going to be incredible. I mean, I really don't think we can fully comprehend it. But it's going to be intense. Um, 1 Corinthians, and I'm not just saying this. 1 Corinthians 15. Turn to these things and look at them with your eyeballs. So I'll turn there so you guys have time. If I can get there, you can get there. 1 Corinthians 15. Look down there in verse 47. Because no man can see God and what? Live. Yet John is falling down dead and he's he's living. 
so we see here um, in 47 is where I'm going to pick it up. The first man is of the earth, earthy. You know what? These bodies that we're in are earthy. Like you can rub your hands together and the next thing you know, it's like your dead skin comes off and it's dirt turns into <laughs> turns into dust. I mean, how the dust were created, back to dust we go. We're earthy. Um, the first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man, oh, is the Lord from heaven. So Adam has one glory, right? Jesus has a different one. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And is the and is the heaven and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, comma, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So you've had this time in this Adamic body, but we get one we get a new body that's Adamic, but it's the last Adam, not the not the first Adam. Now this I say, brethren. That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. This body's got to go. The blood in your system's got to go. It's no good. But you know what? Your soul is sealed into the day of redemption. That's why your body gets changed in an instant. That's why there is a resurrection. Verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal, right, this one that's going to die, must put on immortality. So we are literally eternal. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, what's the, what's the outtake on this? Well, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So you're eternal, but it doesn't look like it. This body is only temporary. You get a new one. God only leaves you here to do his work. Getting back to that issue of work. The Christian is here to work. Right to do the work of ministry, Pastor Randy's favorite verse. Right that he's equipped me, he's put me in the ministry to do the work of ministry. It's so it's so true. All right, so that concept gives this verse a whole new, a whole new meaning. First John three, which many of you know. First John three. Behold, what manner of love? What's it say? Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now, not later, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. John turned and he saw him. I'd like to see what John looked like at that time, and I will when I get there. Because John was ahead, but I'll get there soon. It'll be interesting to be there. But anyway, that's, we'll get into that when we get to chapter 4. So, can you imagine appearing before Jesus and never knowing who Jesus is? I mean, John knew who he was, and he still fell down as dead. In Matthew 7, 
in verse 22, Jesus said this, Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have not we prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. What are you talking about? If you knew me, you'd know my father, right? That's the, he, you are not in my family. So the religious lost will experience this firsthand. There are religious people who do things in the name of the Lord that are going to be lost because they never knew Jesus personally. They never received the gospel. They never were changed into his image. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. But you know what people should see? Very clearly is the light of Christ in our lives. They should see Philippians chapter 2. Humility, love for one another. They should see the grace of God, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, right? Gentleness, goodness. That's the fruit, not the fruits. It's fruit. Now, obviously, I struggle with that. You struggle with it. Our flesh gets in the way. But as a whole, is that is that what is ruling our life? Is the Word of God ruling us? I mean... Guys, there's, these are things that, that if we're spending time with Jesus in the light of his word, it's going to change us from the inside out. The saved may experience this at the great white throne. <clears throat> not loss of salvation, but a loss of rewards. I should say at the great, not the great white throne, but at the judgment seat of Christ. Great white throne is it. If you're at the judgment, if you're at the great white throne, uh, other than as a, an observer like us, you're in trouble. That's there without it. It's because you don't have an advocate or propitiation for sin, and you're going to be cast in like a fire. But for us that are saved at the, at the judgment seat of Christ, man, there's going to be some people, and I'm, I'm afraid I'm one of them, that may be suffering some loss. Time, talent, treasure. How did I invest it? Man, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. That's going to be so clear when we see him. We're going to look back on these verses and go, what was I I wasn't thinking, was I? I wasn't I wasn't working, was I? I wasn't really believing, was I? I believed enough to get saved, got my fire insurance. But man, I totally missed it. There's going to be a lot of Christians in the 20th century that missed it. Naked, miserable, poor, blind, naked. I think I said that. Anyway. All right, point D. Let's move on because I'm running out of time. So, any questions thus far? You guys tracking with me? This is a lot of devotional teaching, but it's it's good to contemplate. So uh, we see that we find Jesus where he resides there in verse 13. He's in the midst of the seven candlesticks. Uh, and that's, again, uh, just obvious. Jesus, if you want to get a hold of Jesus today, he's going to be in the in the church, right? Um, and so he's obviously omnipresent. I'm not saying he's not. But he's in the midst of the seven candlesticks, the churches. This is comforting to know that the Spirit of God dwells in his churches because we are the body of Christ. But what is the what is the condemnation for the church age of Revelation chapter 3 called Laodicea? Where is Jesus in that church? He's outside, isn't he? Knocking. Not all the churches are letting him in. One of the reasons why is they're taking his word and they're they're getting rid of him. Hold fast to the faithful word as you've been taught. If you have a perfect word, why in the world would you change it? I mean, if it's self-evident. Is there one that's gotten better than the King James? No. They all have the same corrupt Greek manuscripts, and they continue. And by the way, if you're not using King James, I'm not trying to insult anybody. 
I mean, I'm just being frank about the scholarship, though, behind new translations, which come out every... I did a calculation. I can't remember what the number was. It was ridiculous. Like every two... It was, it was hundreds that were going to come out in the next hundred years. There'd be so many English translations, and it's all about the money. It's not about perfecting anything that's in the English or making it easier to read and all that. So anyway, moving on. I digress. So... Uh, so there, there, there are as many angels, stars represented as there are spirits, attributes of the Spirit of God. They're in Revelation 1 and verse 4. There's seven spirits, there's seven churches. Interesting how those sevens line up. So we are at the right hand of Jesus there in uh, Revelation 3.16. In Scripture, notice that uh, <clears throat> who, who is at the right hand of the Father. Of course, we know from Acts 7.55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Just to emphasize the right hand of God. Romans 8.34, Who is he that is condemned? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And so we as Christians are secure in Christ and we as churches are secure in Christ. Uh, even though our charismatic friends like to point out the angel of being spit out in Revelation 3.16 as evidence of Christians losing their salvation. That passage is referring to the angel to the churches, not to the individuals losing salvation, uh, by the way. All right, so then we see Jesus' power. Um, Jesus in his, in his position, I should say, of power. Uh, Jesus in his position of power. So uh, Revelation 1.13, there's a garment down to the foot and girt about with the past with a golden girdle, and the garment represents... Uh, the dress of the high priest in Leviticus, not a dress, but how he is dressed. In uh, Hebrews 4.15, we know that Jesus is our high priest. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So he's got his priestly uh, garb here. So, wow, right, we're standing in his presence, the high priest, um, that the Levitical high priests are only a picture of is communing in the midst of the golden candlesticks because we know he's interceding for us. He is our intercession. And so uh, he is able to save us to the uttermost, it says in Hebrews 7, 25, uh, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He is interceding for us before the throne. Uh, Jesus is much better than the Levitical priesthood, which is why Melchizedek also uh, pictures Christ. Uh, it says in Hebrews 5, 8, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience to the things which he suffered and being made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So what is, who is Melchizedek? He's a, he's a priest that, that uh, Abraham offers sacrifices to before the law, before there's a Levitical priesthood. Some think it is... Uh, uh, Oh, gosh, it just fell out of my head. Shem. Yeah, Shem. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's oldest. And so, um, and perhaps it is. Some think it's the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. I used to think that, but I don't, I don't, I think I would lean more towards Shem. But whatever the case, Abraham offers this priest, uh, the first time you find tithe in the Bible, by the way, is before, before the Levitical priesthood is ever even brought about, before Moses, it said this, priest that has no lineage recorded in the bible because jesus christ has no lineage right he's eternal and he gives him a 
Well, he has a lineage in, Ma- in, uh, in Matthew and, and Luke, but we understand that's his human nature. Um, but his, he's, he's forever, right? He is the first and the last. And so uh, he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's greater than the law. He's before the law. All of these types that are, are wrapped up in Melchizedek. And so you see that priestly garb as he's in the midst of the churches interceding for us. Uh, it's an incredible picture there that you see in the first chapter of Revelation. And he is all-powerful. So Jesus is much better than that Levitical priesthood, which is why Melchizedek also is pictured there. In Revelation one fourteen. his head and his hairs are white like wool, white as snow. Uh, of course, Jesus is the source of all wisdom. In Proverbs 16.31, there's a passage that says, the hor- With the hoary head is a crown of glory. And if it be found in the way, if it be found in the way of righteousness. So just because you got gray hair doesn't mean you're, you're wise. But uh, Proverbs 16 and verse 31 does tell us that with the, the hoary head, right, the, the white-headed man or woman is wisdom. And so, again, uh, this ties us to the glory of God as the lamb. Mary had a little lamb. His fleece was white as snow, right? He was white as snow. So in verse 14, we see his eyes are as a flame of fire. And, of course, in Revelation 19 and verse 12, the Bible says, His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and a name written which no man knew but he himself. So his eyes burn like lasers into our soul. You know, remember how Peter looked in Luke 22, and I'll end on this. In Luke chapter 22, I'm trying to finish, but I'm not going to get done. So in Luke chapter 22, uh, Peter's been denying, he's been denying Jesus. You guys know the story. And uh, he's even cursing. I mean, he's really getting carnal. And he's trying to speak the language of the world so they, they don't know that he identifies with Jesus. He, things didn't go the way he wanted. He's, his expectations are not met. Anyone ever go to church and your expectations aren't met and then you go out in the world and act like hell so people... Don't identify you with Christ because you're just not liking what's went on. That's what Peter did. He wanted the kingdom to come in. He took a sword, and he was, gonna, he was ready to bring it in. But God's like, this is not how it's going to go, Peter. I'm going to go lay down my life like a lamb. Peter wasn't down with that. Um, but that's exactly what Jesus was going to do. Jesus had told him that. And so in Luke chapter 22, you get an inside scoop on what was happening there. And at the end of Luke 22, for time's sake, I just, I'll wrap up with this. It says that, uh, let's just look at the story. This is a good place to stop. I'll pick it up in verse 15. One of them smote the servant, <clears throat> uh, smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. That would have been Peter. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far? And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to, to him, be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me, but this is but uh, but this your hour and the power of darkness. This is your hour and the power of darkness. So verse 54. Then, and then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them, but a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire earnestly and earnestly looked upon him and said this man was also with him and he denied him saying woman i know him not and after a little while another saw him and said thou art also of them and peter said man i am not 
and verse 59, in about the space of one hour and another, uh, another confidently affirms, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what, what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew, which Jesus said would happen. And the Lord turned, look at this, verse 61, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Look what happened. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I think that's a good place to end because that's where we started. In Revelation chapter 1, what do we see? He heard a voice, and he turned, and he fell down as dead. He humbled himself before God. Peter, he was doing his own thing. Denying God, and all Jesus had to do is look at him, and he remembered. And man, he went out and he wept bitterly. And so if the word of God tonight is pricking your heart, and you're like, man, what am I doing? You know what? Now's a good time to weep bitterly because there's still time to get right. Now's a good time to turn to Jesus, right? Don't turn away from his voice. Turn to him. Fall down before him. Allow him to pick you up. Allow him to put you in the midst of the seven candlesticks with him. Right? Don't leave him on the outside. And never open the door. Open the door and let him sup with you. That's what Peter had to do to get back in business, remember? What's it say in Revelation chapter 3? Right? That's what needs to happen. Open the door. Sup with Jesus. Let him come in, right? You know, Jesus can break in any... He came in the upper room. He doesn't need a door, by the way. He's the door of the sheepfold. I mean, okay. He's knocking because we got to turn to him and not depend on our own self. There's people having church and Jesus isn't even invited. Beloved, if that's us, let's repent of that and make sure everything that we do is about Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. We don't want to be like Peter and deny him and then someday when we get to the great white or the, to the judgment seat of Christ, he looks at us face to face, and man, we just weep bitterly because we wasted all this time. So there's some practical things we can learn from Revelation chapter one. We'll we'll finish up chapter one next week and jump into chapter two. So let's pray, and uh, we'll be dismissed. Let's stand together. You've been sitting a long time, and uh, we've covered a lot of information. We'll cover more next week, and then uh, we'll keep moving. Huh? You don't want to stand? If you can, I know, yeah. It doesn't take long. Not only do our eyes fall asleep, our body parts fall asleep. So, all right. Well, let's, uh, hey, Bob, you want to close us in a word of prayer, brother? Why don't you close us? Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening just thanking you and praising you for your son, Jesus Christ. And, Father, we're so grateful and thankful for that which we have heard tonight. And help us, Lord, to apply those things to our lives. Help us, Father, to be the kind of servants that you would have us to be rather than what we think maybe we want to be. Father, again, we thank you and we praise you and we ask that you bless us as we're dismissed in your holy name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.